Specialty Story, session number 172. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I get to have amazing conversations with physicians about their specialty. Now, last week, I had a guest on talking about psychosomatic and addiction psychiatry. And at the end of that episode, I told you that psychosomatic psychiatry is actually now called consultation liaison psychiatry. And I'm going to be talking to Dr. Anique Forrester, a fellowship director for consultation liaison. And Dr. Forrester is going to tell us her journey to consultation liaison and as a fellowship director, what she looks for in her applicants. We start the conversation by talking about what interested Dr. Forrester in consultation liaison to begin with. We start the conversation by talking about what interested Dr. Forrester in psychiatry and consultation liaison psychiatry to begin with. I pretty much knew I wanted to do psychiatry as a specialty when I started in medical school. And so in a, as a fourth year, I wanted to do electives and I thought for sure I'd be a child psychiatrist. And I wanted to try out uh, an elective rotation in child psychiatry, but it was full for the month that I wanted to do it. And the only thing that was available was the consultation rotation. And so I did the rotation. I loved it and have never sort of veered away from it since my fourth year of medical school. (laughs) So it was all a mistake that you're here. It was all a mistake, a happy accident. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the funny thing and kind of the, the mission behind this podcast is to help expose people to all these different niches within all these different specialties to to students. My assumption is maybe maybe wrongly that you probably didn't know what consultation liaison psychiatry was. You, you were just so focused on child psych that you're like, that's all I want to do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. What was it about the rotation that that hooked you so quickly? I think there are two things that that drew me to this specialty. So one was the acuity of the work. So I kind of like to move at a fast pace. My mind sort of does better and adapts better when things move quickly um, versus something really slow. And the other thing was that the mentors that I worked with over the course of not only that away rotation that I did as a fourth year, but in the course of my residency kind of reinforced for me because they modeled the type of career that I wanted. And so everything just sort of made sense. This is a fast paced job. It sort of challenges me to think in a different way. And I saw people actually doing the job and I could see myself doing it as a result. It's interesting when when you were saying that the, something popped into my head, and I don't know if it's it's true or not, but I think a lot of people potentially, as they're deciding their careers, there's one of the kind of algorithm decision points is, do I want to have long-term relationships with my patients 
or do I want to see them once or twice and then and then be on my way? And, and I think a lot of people like emergency medicine for that, where it's just like one and done. And I think a lot of people potentially see psychiatry as a long-term relationship. My assumption is that this consultation psychiatry is not that. Is that is that fair to say? So most times it really is not. It, it, it's it's a uh psychiatric care of people who are medically ill. So usually the medical hospitalization is a finite period of time, Mm -hmm. but there are aspects to consultation liaison uh, that especially occur in the outpatient and some people who choose a specialty really thrive in an outpatient setting and working in either a setting that is primarily dedicated to another medical specialty or working as a liaison in an independent clinic. Um, so you can have long-term relationships in that aspect of consultation, which is why I like it. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. What are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions around consultation liaison psychiatry, maybe maybe even amongst psychiatry residents? So I tell my residents when they rotate with me that one of the biggest things about CL that challenges residents is that it is so changeable and variable. You can have a really busy day one day and then you come in and you have maybe one consult the whole day. And that's a challenge for trainees because I think at that level, they really like predictability and they like to know what they're doing every single day, the way sort of things will work. And, And I think that that developmentally, it makes sense. But Because of that, one of the myths about CL is that it's always going to be busy, um, that you sort of are just barely keeping your head above water because they kind of, I think, gravitate towards a time where it's busier and then they kind of have amnesia about the times where it wasn't (laughs) as busy. Yes. As humans, we love to focus on the negative. <laughs> That's the only thing we we remember. As as a someone who's published a, a few books, I, I focus on that one one star review and, and ignore all the five star reviews. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's interesting. The the more you talk in the, in the previous conversation that I had with the the other consultation liaison psychiatrist, it, it almost sounds like. Uh, the world of medicine, especially inpatient medicine, is going towards hospitalist care. We have hospitalist OB, hospitalist peds, obviously hospitalist hospitalist. We have nocturne hospitalist. It, it almost sounds like there's the the consultation liaison psychiatry is basically hospitalist psychiatry. Is, is there some little correlation there? Yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> It, it sort of works in a similar way. I think that hospitalists work, but we have this additional layer where we have to maintain relationships in a different way with the other medical specialties. Mm. Um, I think just sort of to sort of expand on the question you asked before about another myth. Another myth, I think, is that psychiatrists will always have the answers. Um, and that if there's a problem or difficult behavior with a patient, let's just call the psychiatrist. So so we have to maintain different levels of relationships with the folks who tend to call us. One, because they're our bread and butter. And so that's how sort of we stay in business, but also to kind of help move the care forward for patients, because I do think there's a misconception sometimes about what a psychiatrist can actually do um, in the medical setting for a patient. Yeah. Interesting. Now, I want to tailor a little bit because you're a program director for the consultation 
consultation liaison program for traits that you think make a good consultation liaison psychiatrist as you're reviewing applications, what are you looking for? Funny you're asking me this because we are in the process (laughs) of sort of finalizing our uh, applications for this current cycle of fellows. Um, For me, I look for people who are thoughtful, who see their job as a CL psychiatrist more as um, a job that really requires them to have good communication skills and a real interest in the medical complications, the psychiatric complications of people who have medical illnesses. I really look to see that for that in many different ways with my applicants from what they've done in the past, what they write about in their personal statements to what we talk about on the interview day. Those are the main things that I'm looking for. What are some, some almost guaranteed like hard stops on an application? Hard stops. I don't think I've seen any sort of red flags um, that would just sort of make me say I wouldn't. I wouldn't even consider this person. Uh, if if I'm I'm a program director that looks less at standardized test scores, as long as a person meets the minimum requirements for my specialty, I'm actually looking for those other intangible skills because I think those are actually much more. Uh, applicable for not only the fellowship, but for the career in consultation liaison psychiatry. So, I mean, unless, you know, we're seeing criminal records or something really uh, outrageous, I'm pretty open to many things. And and I'm not as focused on people's board scores as (laughs) as other specialties might be. You mean a 260 doesn't guarantee someone's going to be an amazing consultation liaison psychiatrist? No. And actually, in my experience, People who do well at taking tests are not the best necessarily in the communication skills that I'm looking for in a CL psychiatrist. Yeah. Are there opportunities? Again, this is more from the, the program director side of things. Are there opportunities for someone who maybe doesn't, maybe is not as comfortable communicating in in the way that maybe psychiatrists need to communicate Uh, are there opportunities for them to learn those sorts of skills or is it you either have it or you don't i think it's a little bit of both because it's a one-year fellowship by the time i'm looking at a fellowship applicant i've got to see that they have the beginnings of that because i only have a year to hone their skills So you kind of have to have at least the foundations. And that's what I'm looking for in the application and the letters, uh, what the person uh, communicates on the interview. That's really what I'm looking for is that they have the foundations within which I can build. Mm. Very neat. What does the the fellowship year look like for for all of your fellows? Typically, uh, we start by having our fellows work with us here at the main university hospital, just doing bread and butter consults. A lot of times we're getting fellows that are coming from outside institutions. So just kind of learning how our system works, who we get consults for, where the floors are that the teams are (laughs) sort of consulting (laughs) us from. That takes a little while. And then we also have our fellows go to the VA 
where they do a mix of consultation work. They do um, like an outpatient consultation clinic where they see people short term and then return them back to their primary care providers. And then as the year moves on, we have them move more into a teaching and liaison role. So they're teaching residents, medical students, other medical specialties will ask for specific uh, lectures from us. And so we involve our fellows in that. Um, and so by the end of the year, a fellow not only knows how to do uh, consults, and we do a lot of complicated consults, but they also know how to communicate and teach in the way that we think makes the most sense for our program. You mentioned the bread and butter stuff for for the student listening to this, what is the bread and butter for for CL psychiatry? Okay, so they're they're basically uh, a finite set of things that we get consulted for in the hospital. One is delirium, which is usually uh, a change in the person's mental status because of their medical illness. It's usually directly related to that, or a combination of illnesses that are acutely worse. Um, the second is usually a capacity evaluation. So capacities are um, evaluations about individual decision making. So whether it's to accept or refuse a proposed treatment or to accept or refuse like a disposition plan. And then just general um, evaluation for psychopathology or initiation of medications. Those are usually, that encompasses the usual sort of basic consultation process. Okay. For the fellows, as they're going through their fellowship year, what does call look like for them? So our program doesn't have call. <laughs> not fellows yeah are, so are you the, are you sure it's a medical program because call is like <laughs> <laughs> but typically the reason that fellows don't take call is because the residency training program has a call system so the residents are on call ah. and so they would handle emergency consults or follow-up consultations that are being asked for either overnight or on the weekend um usually if there's a, an acute problem. Um, and so the fellows really don't need to take home. Nice. I, that's a, a nice little perk of the hierarchy of medicine. It is. <laughs> do you, uh, do you feel like uh, CL psychiatry is competitive to match into or no? So in terms of all of the fellowships that are available in psychiatry, child psychiatry is obviously the number one sort of most competitive specialty because it has the most level of interest and there's usually a significant financial difference between somebody who's done child training or somebody who hasn't. So CL's kind of in the middle. Um, it, it, is, it is a specialty choice by which the, the people who want to do the fellowship are self-selective. They're very motivated to do CL because they like the nature of the work, not because they see necessarily this huge financial gain from having the fellowship. And so that sort of puts us in the middle because we're really relying on the people that really want to learn how to do CL. Interesting. You mentioned child psych potentially having more financial gain. Now, historically, our uh, kind of rule of thumb is anything with the word child in it is paid less. Is that different in the psychiatry world? Wait, can you repeat that? So usually the the pediatric subspecialties of almost every field, the, the financial reimbursements are less than the adult counterparts. It sounds like you're saying child psych is maybe bucks that trend. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, just because there's a significant shortage of child psychiatrists hmm. uh, across the country. So the compensation has sort of increased uh, in response to the shortage. Yeah, that makes sense. Very interesting. What should a student uh, or, or resident be doing in, in your eyes to make themselves competitive? Uh, obviously for, for your program, since you can't speak for other people. <laughs> right. What I'm looking for is um, in a potential applicant is that they've um, gone above and beyond the basic requirements in CO. Um, so most uh, psychiatry residency programs ha- are required to have residents do at least two months of CO. And so if I'm looking at a fellowship applicant, I want to see that they've done CO beyond just those two months. And I also want to see that they've done some experiences that are at the level. So I would want to see like a, a more senior resident that's done CO maybe in their PGY four year. I want to know that they've um started the process of getting to know the specialty, like coming to the um, ACLP meeting, the annual meeting, um, that they've maybe done some individual work with CL psychiatrists that are practicing in their programs, just so I can see that the interest and the investment is real. And they've they've made some attempts to uh, sort of get to know the specialty outside of the core requirements. For some of the students who may be listening in the the pre-med or medical student world, are are there opportunities on the society level for those students to start getting involved? Ah, so that's a little different. Um, If you're pre-med, probably only if you sort of get to a place where you shadow somebody Mm -hmm. um, and you maybe reach out to a CL psychiatrist in a hospital by which you have some affiliation or is in your area in the preclinical years, it depends on the medical school. Um, and we have at University of Maryland, we have what's called the CAP program. So there are medical students in the MS1 and MS2 year who sort of know they're interested in psychiatry. And then they get like accelerated opportunities to work with different uh, psychiatrists over the course of those two years. So those are usually the pathways by which um, students get exposed to CL just because we're ho- primarily hospital based. Yeah. Interesting. For the the future primary care physician listening to this, what do you want them to know about what you do in CL psychiatry world to help them and help their patients in the future? I think as a primary care physician, one thing I want to um, sort of, or a future primary care physician, want to sort of let people be comfortable with the notion that mental health is essential an essential part of the overall treatment of any patient and it's probably good from an early stage to not separate people's mental health issues from their physical health issues um and i one of the things that i really try to stress in the students that i work with is that if you're in a primary care setting and a patient has a primary psychiatric illness not to think of them as a psych patient. I see that a lot in the hospital. Mm. They're just a patient. And essentially what you have to do is sort of get familiar with the language, take time to sort of understand how a psychiatrist would manage that patient, get help if you need, um, but really continue to take ownership of the care of a patient who has mental health issues. Yeah. Language is so powerful that it's the whole, the the difference between a disabled person and a person with a disability. It's just a a powerful difference. Mm -hmm. Interesting. 
What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into CL psychiatry? Um, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned is the importance of relationships. Like sometimes it almost doesn't matter what I say. It just matters that I know the person that I'm saying it to. Does that make sense? In terms of talking to another specialist, another physician? In terms of another specialist, delivering recommendations, Mm -hmm. um, really helping to move a patient's care forward. The relationship is so essential to understanding how to how the the other medical specialists will receive what I'm saying um, and also how they will implement. Because in the hospital, I don't manage orders. I don't um, sort of make any more specific decisions about a patient's care. I can only recommend. So for me, sort of the biggest life lesson about CL is that you have to know how to manage relationships. Yeah. In order to be effective, the whole consultation world is is unique in that way, where the the kind of the the physician who owns the patient, so to speak, is mm-hmm. is asking you for advice, and you're really not doing anything. You're just recommending. How mm-hmm. do you how do you build that trust? It takes time. Um, we have what's called an integrative care initiative, which is a proactive consultation model within which we just meet with teams on their interdisciplinary rounds, the, the primary medicine teams, and just meet with them every time, every day. And we just build relationships where they know us, we're familiar. Um, we have usually one specific attending that's working with them, even though the residents may change. Um, we have a social worker that's on that team. And really it's about just spending the time and getting people comfortable with what we do. There's some continuous re-education that happens as is the nature of academic medicine, but just being there, being around them, answering questions, demystifying some things has really helped. Well, what specifically in, in your world made you want to stay in the academic world and run a, run a fellowship program versus going out and, and having some leisurely days out in the community? Alas, I'm a teacher at heart. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I actually, this is funny you asked me because I wrote an article that was published in July in the New England Journal about why I stay in academia Mm. as an underrepresented minority physician, because there's an importance of, in terms, especially in terms of training future doctors to see people who are not sort of the usual type um, and learn from them. Yeah. So that weighs in on me a lot because I, I do see myself really primarily as a teacher. Yeah, it's it's interesting in this extra burden that you've taken on, right? Being that that minority in medicine, really taking on that call to to train everyone else to to open up their eyes to that that there are other ways of thinking and there are people from other backgrounds than their own. So that's a a great mission you're on. So thank you for doing that. What do you like the most about being a consultation liaison psychiatrist? Oh, the most. I think I like the puzzle, uh, putting together the puzzle of what's happening with the patient. Um, I don't, I never really see myself as getting sort of like stupid consults or, you know, um, this, this was totally unnecessary. Like sometimes in frustration, we may say that we're busy, like, ah, why are they consulting me? <laughs> but usually I can find the teaching moment 
in almost any case. And a lot of times it's the work that we put in as uh, consultants, sort of figuring out what's happened with someone, piecing together a timeline of events or changes in somebody's either mental health presentation or their cognitive status. And just to see that then helping another team to take care of a patient really helps me. And I love that part of it. Just putting it together. What do you like the least? Ah. The hardest thing for me is when I've done all that work, um, put the puzzle together, giving you my wonderful recommendations and you totally dismiss it. <laughs> I say, ah, I'm not going to do that. Then uh, I kind of feel the pain of, then why did you ask me? Yeah. As, as you obviously build your career and build those relationships and, and potentially, you know, the physicians who are, are potentially just checking the box to ask for a consult who likely aren't going to do anything based on your recommendations. How do you, how do you deal with that? Ah, that's, that's a daily evolution for me. I, I don't think I have a great answer about that. I think that what I do is I find meeting uh, in the patients that I do help and in the times where people reach out to me because we have a relationship. I actually just had a conversation with an oncologist last week about a patient and we were kind of going through what to do. And we were talking about even maybe referring the patient to see a psychiatrist. And she goes, well, but I don't know that person. I, you're the person that I know. So I really value what you have to say. Yeah. And so I just kind of take... Um, sort of pride in those moments when they do happen, that kind of makes the job worthwhile because that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Do you see any major changes coming to the field of consultation liaison psychiatry that uh, a medical student or resident should be aware of? Well, I think medicine as a whole is moving much more towards collaborative care. COVID has shown us sort of that telemedicine really is the future. And that um, at a certain point, we're probably going to be doing a lot more telemedicine than we have at any point in the past. And so moving to a more collaborative care system where you have a multidisciplinary team taking care of a patient and just sort of with my prior point that almost every patient is going to have some mental health or emotional health issues going on. So to really be in the space now where we're more aware of that, we're working on a team where we have a lot of different clinicians and professionals that can help a patient, that psychiatry is going to be central to that. Um, and psychiatry as a whole is going to be moving away from the sort of like one and done consultation that we're going to be much more integrated in the, into the care, everyday care of patients. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a CL psychiatrist? Absolutely. <laughs> For For the student listening to this, who's now exposed to consultate, consultation liaison medicine two weeks in a row here and potentially you've piqued their interest. What do you recommend they do kind of next steps to, to get more exposure and to, to hopefully gain more interest in this? So I, I always sort of um, put a plug in for the Academy of Consultation Liaison Psychiatry. So that's the national organization of CL psychiatry. Um, sort of joining the organization, which is free for students to do, um, thinking about attending the annual meetings, 
and sort of getting exposure from a wide swath of CL psychiatrists rather than folks that might be in your local area. But then also just thinking about getting some exposure, reaching out um, in your local system to see if there are any CL psychiatrists, sort of like just sort of bending their ear and asking them about their jobs. But the Academy of um, Consultation Liaison Psychiatry is the first place that I send students. They're very open to students, residents, fellows. They really want to embrace the next generation of CL psychiatrists. And that's the first place to look. All right. So there you have it again, Dr. Forrester with Consultation Liaison Psychiatry. As a fellowship director, I love getting program directors on the podcast to talk about how they're reviewing applications, what they're looking for, what they're not looking for, and how applicants can make their application stand out. Hopefully this was helpful for you. I hope you enjoy these episodes. If there's a specialty that you've been dying to hear from, let me know. Just shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. And if you're pre-med and you haven't been, or even a medical student, you haven't been following e-shadowing, we have guests through May 2021 at this point. You can find all that at eshadowing.com. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.